Thanks for checking out the Candeo podcast. To learn more about us, visit us at candeochurch.com. Might have been a really bad idea. <laughs> Teach. Whose idea? I think this was my idea. This could have been a bad one. Guys, this is just a real, very weird um, Sunday for me. Um, yeah, last time teaching in front of you guys as a member of this church family. Um, if it's okay with you, uh, I'd like to, to start off just by sharing how I got grafted into this church family. That's funny. I say, if it's okay with you. What are you going to do, kick me out? Yeah. <clears throat> I uh, graduated physical therapy school at University of Iowa in December 2013 and came, got a job here. Uh, came here in February 2014 um, after Paul Sabino had taught from, taught from Genesis 1. I met him. Uh, he had just partially torn his ACL playing racquetball, and I asked him who was doing his rehab, and he asked me, what's rehab? And I said, Paul, you can't walk. Like, that, that's how my relationship with Paul Savino started. And uh, within the year, he would offer me a job to come on part-time as the youth ministry director. I told him no. He said, pray about it, which is a dangerous thing to do. I prayed about it. I eventually said yes, and I fell in love with ministry. Uh, that next year, after doing a, full time, uh, full, a year of full-time PT, part-time ministry, I came on ministry full-time with Salt Company for a year. Um, and then as we planted Anthem Church, got past the baton to be the Salt Director for a couple years. And like Cody said, for the last three or four years, I've been serving on the community side here at Candeo. Because I've been here over eight years. And I've uh, been thinking a lot about what I want to say to you as my church family as we leave this place. Uh, And the beautiful reality is that the thing that I want to say, I know what I want to say. The thing I want to say actually graphs in perfectly with the passage that was given me this morning, Psalm 100. Because if you have your Bibles, I'd encourage you to turn to Psalm 100. If you were to listen to this podcast or whatever later this week, the title of the sermon would be How to Worship a King. But you read Psalm 100 and you might go, well, I don't see the word king anywhere in Psalm 100. What you have to know is um, Psalm 100 is kind of an end cap psalm for Psalms 90 through 100, which is all about the kingship of our God. I mean, if you look, I mean, I'll just read some of the, the titles from the CSB. Psalm 96, King of the Earth. 97, the Majestic Kings. 98, Praise the King. 99, the King is Holy. And so Psalm 100 kind of closes and is a conclusion to all of these psalms talking about our God who is King and ultimately how we worship him. So this morning, um, as we unpack this passage, I think there might be three categories that would be helpful for us as we unpack this passage this morning. I want to talk a bit about who God is. I want to talk about who we are as his people. And then I want to talk about how we worship our king. Verse one says this, let the whole earth shout triumphantly to God. Who is God? Well, he's the type of God where we shout triumphantly to him. The psalmist is essentially saying our God has triumphed in so many ways that nothing should hinder our praise to him. And the psalmist isn't just telling Israel, the Israelites, God's people, to shout triumphantly. He's telling the whole earth, Gentiles included, even non-Israelites, shout to the God, the creator of the universe. Verse 3, acknowledge that the Lord is God. We are to acknowledge that God is God and we are not. So, or Isaiah 55 says it this way. 
Verse eight, for my thoughts are not your thoughts and your ways are not my ways. This is the Lord's declaration. For as heaven is higher than earth, so my ways are higher than your ways and my thoughts higher than your thoughts. Pretty clear, God is God and we are not. But you might ask the question, well, how is God's ways higher than my ways? His thoughts higher than my thoughts. What does that look like? Well, verse five tells us, the Lord is good and his faithful love endures forever. His faithfulness through all generations. God is good. He is faithful. His love isn't fleeting. It endures forever. This is the foundation for why God's people have joy in their God. Because we have a God who loves unconditionally and keeps his promises. And I just want to say this. I think it's worth noting that that's not true for all other religions. You look at other religions and their gods might change their mind. Your salvation might not actually ever be secure. You, you might do all the right things in this life, but at the end of the day, it's like, I still don't know. I remember, you know, so we were in our elder meeting talking about this, and Cody asked the question, could you imagine if that's how our God operated? I think it was Nathan Compton, after like a moment of silence, that said, that is terrifying to think about. If God wasn't faithful to his promises, we would all quickly fall into a panic. But the beautiful reality is God is faithful yesterday, today, and forever. Our God is good and he never changes, which should give us an unspeakable peace. And this is why God's people come before him with joyful songs in verse 2. It's because we don't serve a tyrannical dictator. We serve a God who has a steadfast love towards his people. And the more you understand who God is, the more you want to worship him. Now, I want to zoom out a bit here, and I want to start to connect the dots to the person and work of Jesus Christ. Psalm 90 through 100 is telling us that God is king. He is good. He is exploding with faithful love. Therefore, we should worship him and submit to him as king. Uh, this idea of kingship, um, I think, is kind of foreign to us. One, we're in America. We're in a democracy, right? We're not, we don't have a king of America. We have a president, democracy, all those things. So, so that just the concept in general is foreign to us. But on top of that, and maybe even more so, our flesh and our culture pushes pretty hard in general against the idea of submitting to authority. Like what our flesh wants and then jumping over to I submit to God as my king, that's a pretty wide gap. It's a pretty wide gap. But you have to understand that Jesus is a different kind of king. If you know your history, you know that a lot of kings use their power to manipulate and dominate others, but that's not Jesus. Jesus is the loving king who got down on his knees to serve others. He is the merciful king who went to that cross for his people. He's the powerful king, but he didn't use his power to conquer nations, he used his power to conquer the grave. He is the lamb who was sacrificed and slaughtered, and he is also the lion that rose from the grave and rules and reigns today. He is the victorious king who has never lost, undefeated. He never loses to his enemies. He is the just king 
who is coming back to establish his perfect kingdom and rid this world of all evil. He is the king who owns and rules every other king. He is the king of kings and he is the Lord of lords and he is coming back. And what's our response? What should our response be? Our response should be to submit to him, to bow to him in worship. And I would argue, guys, I think this is true. I believe to my bones that this is true, that we all naturally desire this. We have it interwoven in our hearts to desire a king. We thirst for it. We will worship someone or something as our king. The question is who or what? Might be a political figure, a a career, a job, a boss, a spouse. Anyone or anything can sit on the throne of your life that you worship. If you don't submit to Jesus, you will find another king to rule your life. C.S. Lewis said it this way, if the human body doesn't get food, it will gobble poison. We need food, not poison. We need a good king who loves us unconditionally and that we can give our worship to. And the amazing news is we found him. His name is Jesus. And if we choose to trust and obey him, that is a good thing. But we all have a choice, every one of us, to trust and obey or to reject him, to worship him or to turn away from him. But if you choose to submit to him, you will find yourself safe in the hands of Jesus because he is sovereign. We don't have to worry about being in control because he's in control. Because he is all powerful, there's nothing in this life for us to fear. I believe every single one of us has this desire to be fully known and fully loved and also to be a part of something much bigger than ourselves and have a key part to play in it. And only King Jesus can provide all of those things perfectly for us. Jesus is king. It's who he is and it is good to submit to and follow him. That's who our God is. Now I wanna ask the question, who are we? Who are we? And before we dive back into the text, uh, I wanna zoom out and go big picture here. Um, There are two categories of people in this life, only two. Those who willingly and joyfully submit to Jesus as their king and those who do not, period. There is no middle ground. It's, it's a little bit like pregnancy, right? So if you were to come up to Casey when she was eight months pregnant with Asher and ask the question, hey, are you pregnant? Which we can all agree, we don't ask that question, do we? We do not ask that question. But let's say you broke the cardinal sin and you asked her, hey, are you, are you pregnant? If my wife answered you and said, um, kind of, that would be odd, right? You are either pregnant or you are not. There is a bun in the oven or there is not. There's no middle ground. The same is true with Jesus. You either submit to him as king of your life or you do not. You worship him or you reject him. And if you are not in Christ this morning, you have to understand your greatest danger in this life is not cancer or bankruptcy or even physical death. Your greatest danger in this life is the righteous wrath of a holy God for the guilt of your sin. God's wrath and judgment are real and no one will escape it. And only 
Jesus Christ. Our only hope is the person and work of Jesus Christ who went to the cross on our behalf and absorbed the wrath that we deserved in our place. But not only did he absorb the wrath, he invited us into his family, a royal family that we never deserved to be a part of. It has nothing to do with what you do or what you have done. It has everything to do with what he's done for you. If that's you this morning, if you've not yet put your faith and trust in Jesus, submitted to him as king of your life, I pray that today would be the day of salvation for you. That's one category of people. The other one, because if you are in Christ, there are some beautiful realities in Psalm 100 that are true of you. Go to verse three. He made us. And we are his, his people, the sheep of his pasture. God is the eternal creator and we are his, his people. He made us. You create it, you own it. Our primary identity is that we are his people. We were once enemies of God, but by the blood of Jesus Christ, we are not now brought into his family which means you are not your own. You belong to God. We are sheep that have been bought with a bloody price. We are his people. We are his sheep. But I think there's something actually a little bit deeper here for us this morning. Go to verse two. Verse two says, serve the Lord with gladness. We are his people. We are his sheep. Absolutely. But we are also his servants. I think it's interesting, you know, when Paul wrote the book of Romans, first chapter, first verse, the way he addresses the Romans is Paul, a servant of Jesus Christ, or in some translations, a slave of Jesus Christ. I think it is good and right for us to have our primary identity as sons and daughters of the Most High, but we cannot forget that we are also servants of the King. I think it's powerful to, for us to understand that. Our, our call, ultimately, in a lot of ways in this life, is to serve our king with joy. And guys, I'm going to tell you, I've been thinking a lot about this recently, serving with joy. Um, Casey and I went on a marriage retreat not too long ago, uh, earlier this summer. And uh, we just kind of spent time together uh, relationally, but then we also spent some time just, hey, how am I doing as a husband? How are you doing as a wife? Here's some things I'm doing well, or things you can grow in, all those things. And one of Casey's encouragements to me was, um, Jordan, I think you need to continue to grow in, in like serving me with joy. Because sometimes you, you serve, you know, but she goes, but I can tell when you serve and you're just, you're not wanting to do it. I can, I can tell. And she's, she's totally right. Guys, this is really hard for me. You know, when, when I'm asked to do the dishes or laundry or uh, give her the neck rub, you know, right before we go to bed or, um, oh man. So when it's, <laughs> when it's 3 a.m. and you hear that baby crying, guys, I don't, I've had those moments where I go, maybe if I pretend I'm asleep, <laughs> she'll, she'll get up and get up. You laugh, but you parents have been there too. It's all in that temptation in our heart, right? I don't, my, my flesh doesn't, move towards serving with joy. That's not what I lean towards. And I, I'll, I mean, this doesn't justify anything. I, I've yet to find a husband who's like, yep, I actually, I, I actually have that one figured out. Like I do that perfectly, never miss, always do it, you know? Any husbands here that always do that perfectly? No? No liars in the building tonight, today? 
We, we struggle with this, right? I struggle with this, serving with joy. I'm not always great at it, but I know I'm called to it. But here's the deal. When I do this, when I serve Casey with joy, it is so fulfilling. It is so healthy for our marriage, and I never regret it. I think you can all agree with that. I never get on the other side and I go, man, I was such a waste of time. No, it's, it's good. It's right. I never regret it. And the same is true with God, serving him with joy. You never regret it once you're done. It might be hard or inconvenient or uncomfortable, but, but it's what we're called to. We're called to treat Jesus like a king without any asterisks. We're called to humble, humble ourselves and follow him no matter what the circumstances are in our life. And the beautiful thing is Jesus paved the way to show us how to do this. You see, before Jesus went through his death on that cross, as king, he did not grab a sword, rally the troops, and fight the Romans. What did he do? He didn't grab a sword. He grabbed a towel. And he served his disciples, got on his knees, and washed their feet. That's our king. And that's the path we're called to walk. But although Jesus has paved the way for it, I, I think we got to continue to remember, though, that our relationship with Jesus is not one of equals. When we step into his presence, we are stepping in as servants in the presence of a king. So we agree with Luke 17, 10, when Jesus says, so you also, after you've done everything that you were commanded, say, we are unworthy servants. We have only done what was our duty. We are beggars in the presence of a good king who loves us unconditionally. So we serve him. We serve him with gladness. Now, how do we do that? I believe the rest of this passage actually answers that question. How? How do we worship him? Verse two, come before him with joyful songs. Verse four, enter his gates with thanksgiving and his courts with praise. Give thanks to him and bless his name. The way we serve him with gladness is coming before him with joyful songs, acknowledging that he is God, giving thanks to him for who he is and what he's done, bringing praise to his name. And I think it's important to, to ask the question, because you might ask the question, but how do we serve a God who doesn't need anything? I don't know about you guys, but when I grew up um, and it got to be my mom or dad's birthday or Christmas, I always had just a tough time knowing what to get them. You know, it's like, what do you get your parents? Let's say you spend 20 bucks on them. It's like, well, they can, they have way more than $20. Like as a kid, I'm like, I don't know. They got way more money than I do. If they wanted something for $20, they'd go and get it. I found a couple, um, like safe bets for my parents. Uh, for my dad, it was, well, anything from Menards, but um, specifically French burnt peanuts, which you, got, you might not have ever heard that before. Don't knock it till you try it. All I'm saying is I don't know much about the French. They know how to make fries and burnt peanuts. It's real good. But my dad loves it, so we always give it to him on his birthday or at Christmas. Uh, for my mom, the safe bet, men, you know this, anything from Bath and Body Works was safe, right? What a beautiful, magical land of just like, you can go in there blindfolded and grab three items and they'd be like, wow, that's amazing. This is just what I wanted. Um, it's like, oh, I can't always get her that. This past, actually her birthday was this past week and I got her something she didn't have. It was a Gators t-shirt. She did not have that yet. And so uh, we're loading her up. Here's the deal. God is the most impossible person to shop for at Christmas because he doesn't need anything. So 
So what do we get the one who doesn't need anything? Well, the answer is we don't get him anything. We simply thank him for what he's given us. We come before him with joyful songs, praise, and thanksgiving. He's still God if we don't do those things. But when we do those things, he is glorified. His name is made great. He looks good when we do those things. Joyfully praise him and thank him. And we don't have to go into courts or gates or any of those things today because of the blood of the cross. We can come to him in prayer anytime we want. I remember when uh, COVID first hit and Casey and I felt the temptation just like everyone else in the world to complain. And I love what Casey did in that, uh, at one point in the midst of COVID is she started to just write down a list of things that she was thankful for. Big things and small things. I mean, obviously the person and work of Jesus Christ, the cross, but also just like our family, the amazing friendships we have, the, the income we had coming in at that time, a good meal, an awesome cup of coffee, just big or small, it didn't matter. She thanked the Lord for those things. And guys, we don't have to be in a worldwide pandemic to do that. We can come to him at any time and thank him for what he's done. I think it's a good practice. You guys have to understand that every good gift and pleasure this side of Genesis 3 is just an evidence of God's grace in our life. Flowers don't have to smell amazing. Steaks don't have to taste amazing. Beaches and mountains don't have to look beautiful. The Chicago Cubs did not have to win the World Series in 2016, but God in his goodness allowed me to witness that. We serve a good God, right? Like big or small, I don't know, thank him for all the gifts he's given you in this life. Our God is a good king, so we thank him and worship him. We worship him with our lips, songs, praise, and thanksgiving, but guys, we also worship him with our lives. Go back to verse two. Serve the Lord with gladness. We talked about this a couple weeks ago, but um, worship is a much broader term um, than simply uh, singing, right? All our thoughts, actions, and motives should be directed towards God. That is worship. Andrew Christman in our elder meeting said it very simply. All of life is worship. But how do we worship God outside of singing and praise and thanksgiving? Because we're no longer in the Old Testament time where we're bringing, you know, sacrificial animals to, the God, to God to, you know, spill blood and all that stuff. Like, we're not there. We're on the other side of the cross. So how do we do that today? I think the answer to that question is found in Romans 12. Verse one says this. Therefore, brothers and sisters, in view of the mercies of God, I urge you to present your bodies as a living sacrifice, holy and pleasing to God. This is your true worship. In light of God's mercies, the reality of him being a good king, we present our bodies as a living sacrifice. Now, this doesn't mean we go to an altar and lay on it and, you know, take me, Lord, or anything weird like that. So what is it, what is it talking about? I'm telling you guys, this is, this is the thing that I wanted to share with you this morning. Putting our, presenting our bodies to God as a living sacrifice looks like putting your yes on the table to whatever Jesus calls you to in this life. Period. That's your true worship. And for Casey and myself, obviously that means we pack up a moving truck and we move south um, 
But I, I do want to be abundantly clear on something. Um, putting your yes on the table doesn't exclusively and only mean putting a for sale sign in your front lawn. Okay? I, we are ascending church, and I, and I praise God and add fuel to the fire that we are going to continue to send out people in this place. I, 100, awesome. I, put, I pray that multiplies in the next five to 10 years. But I do think we can sometimes hear the lie that, you know, the varsity Christians, they, they go, and the JV Christians, they, they stay, right? Now, I hope, again, I hope a truckload of you guys go on our next church plant. I, I hope we keep sending out. But I don't want you to think that, oh, because I stay in the Cedar Valley, now I'm on the B team for Jesus. I'll prove it to you biblically. Um, go to, you go to the book of Acts, and obviously you got the Apostle Paul, right? He is doing all his missionary journeys, going to Caesarea and Philippi and Rome and all these things. And you go, man, there's a man after God's heart who's literally presenting his body as a living sacrifice, whatever it is for the Lord. You go, okay, Paul, there we go. Hey, what was Peter doing that, during that whole time in Acts? After Jesus rose from the grave, ascended, where was Peter? He stayed in Jerusalem. He wasn't going on all the trips with Paul. He stayed in Jerusalem, which actually was probably the most dangerous place for him to be in a lot of ways because Jesus was just crucified there. But he stayed. And nobody would call Peter a slouch. We would call Peter one of the pillars of the early church, the inner circle of Jesus, Peter, James, and John. So for you, putting your yes on the table might not mean putting a for sale sign on your front lawn. Absolutely. Putting your yes on the table likely means something more like finally talking to that neighbor or coworker about Jesus. Putting your yes more than likely means cultivating a white, hot passion for the king of the universe through Bible and prayer, communing with him early in the day or throughout the day, and then guarding that time with your life. It means looking at the commands of scriptures and saying there's no if, ands, or buts. There's no exceptions. If God's word says it, I'll do it. God uses greatly those who boldly plant their convictions on the word of God. It means praying big prayers because we know we have an all-powerful king. It means killing your sin before your sin kills you, pursuing holiness. It means surrendering your plans to the Lord. Proverbs 19.21 says, Many are the plans in a person's heart, but it's the Lord's purpose that prevails. It means keeping your eyes on Jesus in the midst of trials and sufferings in this life, finding your joy in him. Parents, it means showing your kids what it looks like to follow Jesus. I'm telling you, if you show them that the main goal in life is convenience and comfort. You are showing them that it's more important to play it safe than it is to obey Jesus. And I pray that never be true of us. That's not the picture we're supposed to give to our kids. I pray Asher would never see that in my life, that he knows that Prohodas, we always have our yes on the table for Jesus, no matter what it is. Christian, don't strive to make your life comfortable. Strive to make it count. I love what David Nelm said last week. God doesn't ask for much in this life. All he wants is everything, right? Figure out today how to leverage your life for the gospel, to serve and worship our king. Open up the hands of your life. Let go of the things that are temporary and cling to the things that are eternal. And I'm telling you guys, as I've been thinking about this passage, I just spent some time 
thinking about my last eight and a half years uh, here at Candale, and I'm telling you guys, I have, I have seen so many of you do this time and time again. It's people like um, Nate Cox. For as long as I've been at Candale, back when we were doing middle school and high school, and then we got into the warehouse and finally got into this building, during all those transitions, it was Nate Cox who was serving from behind the scenes, nobody knowing all the, how did those signs get out there? I don't know, I'm, I'm driving in the parking lot. Like Nate was the guy doing all of those things. It's people like uh, Gloria Gehring, who seems to share the gospel with like everything that moves. <laughs> it's people like Lance DeWine, who I get a text from every Monday going, how can I pray for you this week? And I know he's doing the same thing for the rest of our leadership team. It's people like Stephen Debbie Ferguson, who've used their, their time, energy, experience, and wisdom to pour into engaged and newly married couples in a way I've never seen done before. It's people like Craig and Deb Gingrich, who refuse to let their age be a barrier to them obeying Jesus by getting in the tank and getting baptized. It's people like Zach and Megan Meyer, who refuse to let a 30-minute one-way drive be a barrier for them to fully engaging in the life of our church. It's people like Mark and Amanda Jackson, who literally gave up everything to go over to Southeast Asia and tell people about Jesus. It is the countless families who have engaged fully in the world of foster care and adoption and are fulfilling James 1.27 that says, pure and undefiled religion before our God and Father is this, to take care of orphans and widows in their distress. Guys, I could do this all day long. I have been so encouraged by this church family and spurred on to keep my yes on the table. I'm telling you guys, um, <clears throat> this transition has just been tough. Um, yeah. There's just been multiple times where <laughs> I've had to hold my wife in my arms as she weeps uncontrollably. And I, have, I don't know what to say. So I just hold her in silence. There's been multiple times where I'm looking at God going, is this the right, are we doing the right thing? <laughs> Moving halfway across the nation. God, I feel weak. I feel vulnerable. I feel insecure at times. Tired. But guys, it is, it is the example of this church family and the reality that Jesus is still on the throne and that he is worth it that keeps my yes on the table. Candale. We are all sent to serve the king. Doesn't matter if it's Gainesville, Cedar Valley, Southeast Asia, we're all called to it. Our lives should not be built on the foundation of fear and guilt. Our lives should be built on the love of our king, which will overflow into radical obedience. That's our true worship. Our call as Christians is not to strive for comfort. Our call as Christians is to magnify Christ. Because let's remember, Candale, you are not the hero of the story. I am not the hero of this story. Jesus is the hero of this story. In the words of J.D. Greer, he would say it this way, converting or putting your faith and trust in Jesus Christ can be described as resigning as the main character in your life and giving that to Christ. You don't need a call to leverage your life for the gospel. You accepted that call when you accepted Jesus. Christian, we are not the center of the universe. Jesus is. His kingdom is. His mission is. So we fall on our face and we fully submit to him. Jesus is not looking for heroes. He's looking for humble servants. Is that you? Jesus is king. He's our good king. So we worship him with our lips and our lives.
And that's exactly what we're going to do right now. I'm going to invite the band back up. Verse 2 says, serve the Lord with gladness. Come before him with joyful songs. And that's what we're going to do. You know, here's the deal. Uh, Worship is more than singing, right? It's all of life is worship. But worship is certainly not less than singing. God calls his people to sing. And it is not an arm twist. It is our knee-jerk reaction to the realities of who he is and what he's done for us. And so that's what we're going to do right now. We are going to offer up our sacrifices to our king in the form of singing. I love how Dalton said this. We were talking about this passage. He said, you know, if we want to become a Romans 12 kind of people that present our bodies as living sacrifices to the Lord, we need to become become Psalm 100 kind of people who worship the Lord in gladness, remembering the gospel and reminding each other of his steadfast love through singing. Verse 4 of Psalm 100 says, Enter his gates with thanksgiving. And this very first song we're going to sing is is called, Thank You, Jesus, for the Blood. So we're going to start where we should start. We're going to start at the cross. And we're going to come into the presence of the Lord and go, thank you for everything you've done for me. Jesus, thank you for being the kind of king that went to that bloody cross. Thank you for the blood applied. So we're going to spend some time worshiping together. Would you please stand? And we're going to sing to our king. This has been a message from Candeo Church. To learn more about us or to hear more messages, visit us at candeochurch.com.